Hi all, welcome to Anime Echoes. So we'll be going through Bakano Light Novel 9, um, pages 24 to 53. So the next scene is still with the same characters, so Lamia, but a group of mafia men are spying on them. Ooh, spooky. So the mafia men have wanted posters which has Lamia plastered all over it. So clearly, they're gunning for Rail, for Sickle, the Poet, the whole gang. And they were pretty confident, all things considered, but they're quickly disposed by Lisa. And Chi as well. And their dead bodies are left there, and that'll, that'll be important. Lisa and Chi appear in front of the rest of Lamia as well. And then the poet goes on one of his poetic monologues again. One thing to note is that Christopher was the only one of the group whose soul resonated also with the power of words, just like the poets did. Though, in Christopher's case... He tends to break out in song instead of poetry. Either way, Chi informs the rest of the team that they are being watched. This causes Frank to be concerned, but Rayle thinks that this would interestingly mess with their plans. So he's a chaos-loving kid, um, though they don't fully know the plan. They just know that they need to be decoys for Huey's plan. So Lamia has no idea whatever his plan is and whether it will be like executed in New York or Chicago. Like they don't know shit. They also need to look out for Barium and Nebula's protégés. I wonder who the protégés of Barium and Nebula are. Like it's one thing to say like people who work for them, but protégés implies that Barium and Nebula have people they're like influencing and helping to either succeed them or to grow. Like, am I reading that right? Anyways, like, what does cause me concern is the fact that many of Lamy's members are on the wanted poster. Like, it would be, like, one thing um, if it was just Rail or Frank, um, because they've just been, like, strolling through town, exposing themselves already. But everyone is on there, which means that somehow someone knows about them and that it's been put out to the public on purpose. So clearly, some people know about them. Rail seems pretty confident. And he gets the wanted poster and then sets an explosive on it and it just explodes on the lake. Um, I feel like it would have been something to something that would be good to keep, you know, for clues, but now it's just on fire and cinders and ashes, I guess. Uh, but yeah, anyways, we find out that he's got he got those explosives from delinquents. So probably Jacuzzi's crew and um that he's also just a little bit older than Jacuzzi, maybe. I think it would be really cool to see Rail and Jacuzzi's crew interact. Rail also says an interesting line. Well, not like my name would go down in history anyways. And then Chi goes silent to this, and then Rail walks off. So I thought this was a pretty strange line. Chi going silent makes it feel like it might be implying something important. Does Rail not thinking his name would go down in history imply like some sort of insecurity or something like we'll have to wait to see about that one i guess but it was just a very awkward moment in my memory so another thing about rail is he hates lisa too and he says it to her face so that's pretty cool lisa is a bit of a brat um also like we find out that rail was quite close with christopher now, all this focus on Rail and how he acts and thinks makes me think that he'll be a standout from this group. Otherwise, you wouldn't put that much focus on him. Especially with him being close to Christopher, who is the most obvious standout from this group. So, yeah, I think Rail will be a big deal. Um, another moment that I thought was well done was 
Chi thinking about how Christopher's doing. His friend was missing, after all. He doesn't think Christopher's dead at all, but you can tell he misses him. Also, in the seventh novel, Chi even asks Christopher about their friendship, so you can tell he cares about him. It's wholesome seeing Chi's frustration because Lamia doesn't seem to be an overly emotional group at first. The poet does say something interesting as well. He talks about the world and how it's going to be brushed by Huey's colours. So to brush the world in his colours means to paint the world in an image Huey sees fit. So Huey will do something to influence the world. Then the poet asks if it will be a Neverland or the Underworld. So could it be good or could it be bad? Is it paradise or hell? Like, those are the questions. Then, when thinking about the lives of those who make it to the new world, or those who are imprisoned in this new world, it will be like Alice in Wonderland. So an interpretation of Alice in Wonderland is of a girl growing up and learning about adulthood. So in this new world order that Huey creates, everyone will effectively become Alice, like a child who doesn't know how to operate within the new world, and then they'll have to learn how to. They'll be back to square one, back to being a kid, and they have to learn to grow up again. Now, the last scene ends with Rail, and he notices that the bodies of the corpses aren't there anymore, so they're gone, you know, up in smoke. So someone came to collect the bodies, um... So there are people who know a lot about Lamia and they don't know who they are and now they've also like vanished into smoke as well and they don't have any leads. Rail ended up exploding some evidence so they're not really in a good situation right now, I think. As for who took them or how they perhaps got away, like um, maybe, um, like Chi says that one of the guys killed himself on the blade. Like, that's pretty intense. Like, I know these mafia types are intense people, but killing yourself on the blade uh, with that much intention, um, I don't know, maybe there's a plan involved, right? And if you're going to involve your own death in your plan, then either you're that devoted or you're an immortal. Um, And she was saying that he killed him too quickly, but it could be many, it could be many, many things. So um, either way, I'm keen for the next scene. I thought this setup. A good amount of intrigue and yeah I'm just excited to see what happens. Okay so with this scene um, it has to do with the Russo family and Graham. So finally I get to meet Graham. Before he was just some guy related to Lad shrouded in mystery but now well we know him and he's pretty crazy and that shouldn't be surprising to anyone with this series. So Graham's talking about how he used to work in a factory but that but then that factory had to start dealing in like illegal liquor stuff to stay afloat Um, He reported them to the government because he didn't like what he saw, but that wasn't enough for him. He also felt the need to break it apart with his own hands. He needed to break the factory. He had to make it physical, and so he destroyed the factory literally. After that, he went around wrecking things, people's joints, car safes, just everything. And he does this because it makes him feel alive. So from this we can tell that for Graham... It's not enough to stop something he doesn't like from happening. He has to make sure that he's tangibly involved in it too. Specifically, the part where he does the breaking. We can also tell just how strong Graham is by him lugging around a big wrench and superhumanly breaking down lumps of iron. And it's not just that. He breaks it in a way where it can be used again. So not only does he have the strength to break it apart like to break iron apart in mid-air, 
He has the pinpoint accuracy to break it down in the way he wants to break it down, so he can be reused. We also know Graham doesn't kill, so I guess he just breaks people's joints but doesn't take away their lives. Something like that. Sounds pretty brutal, but maybe when he breaks their joints, he breaks it in a clean way so that they can put it back together or something. Like the iron was broken down to be reused, so are people's joints also smashed with a clean break so that the joints can be refixed again? Is that is that even how joints work? I have, I have no idea. Um, but I feel like there's something to that. Anyways, um, from this we can ask, is he fascinated with both the feeling of destruction and also seeing something come together again? Like, is he supposed to represent breaking things and then also reforming things? We also get some backstory on Graham about how he'd kidnapped Chane and then met Jacuzzi as well. Um, Jacuzzi and him ended up becoming buddies through this incident. I do wonder what Claire's thoughts was on a captured Chane. Like, I can't imagine he was too pleased with something like that. I also found it funny that Graham and Nice came to conflict over the idea of things being taken apart and things blowing up. So these are the real discussion, people. You know, these are the real arguments we should be having. So I'm guessing one side, we have Graham contending that things should be broken. And on the other side, we have Nice saying things should be exploded. Um, I guess, I don't know, what, what would they be arguing? Probably what would give the best feeling, I'm guessing. Anyways, we also learn that Graham tends to live in emotional extremes. So one minute, he's at rock bottom, and next, he's flying high. He was always manic about his emotional shifts, um, and we hear that his emotional shifts only affected the direction. Now, I do wonder what that line means, like his emotional shifts only affected the directions. It's italicized, but honestly, I can't figure out what's being hinted at here. Now, Graham also seems to have someone in his group that he likes to kind of banter with. His name is Shaft, so hilarious name. He notifies Graham that Placido Russo wants to go see him. And the scene kind of um, ends with um, them just kind of partying-ish or laughing. And he has his like wrench around Shaft's throat. Now, overall, this was a cool scene. Um, it was nice to see Graham fully for the first time. Guy's pretty nuts. So far, he seems kind of interesting. Another person who's hard as hell to follow. Like, first we have the vice president, and he's giving lessons on the fly, and then we have the poet, and you have to decipher everything he's saying. And now we have this guy. So, Narita's making things pretty difficult for us, I think. But, yeah, keen to see where this all goes. Um, I'm pretty interested in his, like, emotional manic states, his relationship to the Russos, um, and him and Jacuzzi as well. And also like him wanting to break things apart. That seems to be like a real kind of key thing with his character. So yeah, I thought this was all good stuff. Now onto the next scene. Um, so we jump over to Placido Russo and we're illustrated how, well, he's in a bind basically. Um, so most of this information that we're given, we already know, but there is something that really like stood out. And that was the fact that he sent men to the Chinese mafia, but then they'd been disposed of. So killed. His men were destroyed somehow. And he doesn't know who did it. And if he was the Chinese mafia, he can't fight them because they're just way too big for him to handle. Like, it's they're just too powerful. And he's just got like a weird little syndicate. Like the Russo family aren't that big. In the Russo family, Lad held a lot more power than Placido thought. And now that he's in prison, like people started leaving the Russo family. So now they're like even more, um, like less in power. 
So Placida explains to Graham that for the upcoming job, he's basically cannon fodder. So a real lack of love towards Graham right now. Uh, but Graham seems keen to do it. Anything to escape the monotony he feels right now. After explaining that there are several members to bring in, which is Lamia, Creek, a new character appears. This Creek guy is actually the lead member with the Scar who was part of that group that was spying on Lamia last time, and they ended up getting killed. Well, killed in quotation marks. When he appeared, I first thought, okay, like this must be a scene before he gets killed by Chi. That must be it. But I was holding immortality in my back pocket. Later on, we find out that Creek and Placido are both immortals. Same with the other two men who went as well with Creek to spy on Lamia. So what had happened was they had been spying on the Lamia members, and then they had been killed. But because it was their first death after becoming immortals, their regeneration had taken time, and so Lamia had registered that the blood was like wriggling and squirming. They just looked dead on the floor with blood everywhere. Like they weren't regenerating fast enough to actually be something worth noticing. Now, Placido also mentions the liquor as well. And when we hear liquor, it's the liquor of immortality. So ding ding ding, that would obviously um, create alarm bells in our heads. Also, the people he's cooperating with, he mentions that the brass are interested in Lamia. Now, when I think of the word brass, I tend to think of um, like the Bureau of Investigation, like some people like that. But I think when Placido says that word, I think he's referring to Nebula. Most likely Placido is working together with Nebula. I think that's what's going on. This is really interesting. Like before, Placido just seemed like a bit of a bum. But now that he has immortality, it seems like he has more vitality within him. Like he's less of an afterthought. He can already stab himself without any worry and deal with that pain as well. So we know he's quite kind of attuned to his new power as well. Like his pain tolerance is higher, so that's good for him, I guess. Um, he also wants to get back um, at his nephew, Lad, for putting the fear of death and humiliation into him since the last time in Volume 2, he got humiliated by him. Like, he even recounts the scene in his head. Remember, he's like, oh, don't kill me, no! And then, like, Lad shoots, um, but his gun is empty, and it was just like a bluff, and he was just fucking with him. That's what he wants to get back at him for. So I guess Placido is really confident in his abilities now, but he shouldn't be. We all know that immortals are not invincible in a fight, especially if you're fighting someone like Lad, who's crazy. Like Claire showcased to Shez that his immortality didn't mean shit. Same with Dallas, he got trapped underwater and he was suffering for like years on end. Like, like truly excruciating suffering. Um, also in the last novel, like the ending with Lad knowing that there is a way to kill immortals, I doubt he'd show even a lick of hesitation towards his uncle. It would just make him want to kill him more. So yeah, um, Lad's uncle is really confident now, but um, Placido isn't the only person to get like a massive ego boost from the immortality. Creek, so that guy with the scar on his face, is also talking about how confident he feels to his other men and how he's enjoying the power. So he's like, mm, man, I feel so good right now. I feel like I have so much power right now. So he recounts that he wouldn't like talk as much shit as he did to Graham before. Um, if he didn't have, like, the immortality backing him up. So both characters, you know, Placido and Creek, are on a high with their new immortality. 
Now we can move over to Graham and he's excited by this new job prospect. He's like, yes, I'm going to be cannon fodder. Like he's completely okay with it. And all the characters he sees on the wanted poster, Salamia, just makes him all the more excited. And very quickly, he just leaves to complete his duty. Like he can't contain himself. He can't wait. This level of excitement actually reminds me of Lad. With Lad, when a new possibility that's better than the one he was in is like presented to him, he can't help but immediately like move towards it, like he acts at the complete behest of his desires. The only thing that makes Graham more manageable is the fact that he doesn't kill. But he's just doing the same thing, I would say, just moving towards his desires. I think the similarities between Graham and Lad are kind of neat, and the differences also make things interesting. Like, I could never see Lad and Jacuzzi just getting along, but Graham and Jacuzzi, I could see that actually. Like, not killing would make Jacuzzi feel safe. Jacuzzi doesn't like killing, even when his own men do it, like Donnie. Either way, I'm keen to see Graham, um, like, interact with Lad and Jacuzzi at some point. So overall, I thought this was a really good scene, like a good prologue scene to get us interested in Graham. Um, but I really got interested in the immortality plot, personally, like with Placido and Creek. Like, seeing them be confident kind of made my eyes roll because we've shown, like, we've been shown time and time again that being immortal can make you suffer, like, perhaps even more. So, I'm expecting something like that to happen to them. Like, Placido is so cocky now. Like, he really does think, like, nothing bad's gonna happen to him, um, which is obviously, like, that's definitely gonna do him in. Um, but yeah, it was also, like, really surprising, though. Like, introducing new immortals so quickly and showing most likely that Nebula is probably involved as well. Like, that was really good. So, and also by incorporating Nebula, well, they didn't explicitly incorporate it, but I'm pretty sure that's them. Like, you know some shady shit is happening in the background. Placido and the Russo family seem kind of secondary right now. Like, they're just being manipulated by this brass. Um, and they gave them immortality just to kind of... You know, use them as pawns, basically. Um, but you kind of have to wonder, like, for what purpose? Like, why give them that kind of immortality? Like, that's the thing that's got me really interested. So, yeah, I thought that was, like, the best thing about this scene. Um, because I feel like it expands the potential of this novel. So, yeah, good stuff. Now, thank you for everyone for listening. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at Anime Echoes. That's two words. And if you could leave a review or a like, that would be really helpful. Okay, thanks again. And have a good one. Bye.